Scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. This is God's word. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Good morning. Um, just a little correction for one of the earlier announcements. So the Home Builders Banquet is not going to be in the EM Sanctuary, but it's going to be in the KM Sanctuary. So please sign up for that. That'll be on December 15th. Uh, it'll be a great time for us all. Uh, as you can tell, uh, I am not Pastor Paul. Uh, he is preaching for the children's ministry this morning. So if you can keep him in your thoughts and your prayers as he's ministering to the next generation. Um, thank you for the reading, Pastor Xiong. Uh, we're going to get into our scripture reading and our time and our preaching um, right away. So I wanted to um, ask you a question. What is your life? What is it? Some people would venture to say that it is this constant rebuilding according to your purpose or your identity. Many are the attempts to fashion who you want to be. You want to reinvent yourself, so you change your physical appearance. Others would even change their name to, quote, unquote, start over. There are those that shift their mental outlook because it's a new season or chapter of your life. You are envisioning who you want to become, and you work very hard in order to pursue that dream. There are many books, resources, podcasts to live your best life now. And culture would only accentuate this as you fashion your life exactly how you want it to look. The world tells you that it is your choice. At BK, have it your way. You rule. Whoever did the marketing for that is a genius because that has been stuck in my head for the past two months. But what is your life? I think it's like building a house. As a homeowner, you choose the size, you fashion the walls, the windows, etc. Maybe for those who are not homeowners, for our renters, people living in apartments, you design the inside exactly how you want to express who you are. Our homes are both private spaces and public places to show hospitality or to seek refuge from a long day. The same way we want things to look in our lives resembles building the place we live. It is a tangible expression of how we view ourselves. So I'm going to do something today I have not done for you. We're going to go through a slide presentation. So I put together uh, some poems for you. And mind you, ladies, you're probably going to be like, all the choices that you made for houses are ugly. But this is coming from a young single man, so... This is the best that I could do. I picked them off Google Images, so for your viewing pleasure. As we get to our first home, it was mentioned last week, Pastor Mike said, a beautiful home is one that is remodeled by Chip and Joanna Gaines. I had no idea who they were. I had to look them up. 
they do this thing called fixer-uppers. So this first home is something that they have remodeled. I think it looks pretty nice. Our next one is a more modern take. I think that looks nice too. I like a lot of simple things, so not extravagant mansion, stuff like that. Just give me what I need. Next, we have probably my favorite home. This is one I frequent quite often. I'm always here. I love this place. Um, gets a little scary at night when the lights are off, uh, but it's great. Very cozy. Uh, next, we have a charming four-bedroom apartment, but they did not read our passage as it was built on the sand. Next, we have a home that is not built on the rock, but it literally is a rock. So whoever this person is, they read our passage, and they are an overachiever. Next, we have the literal house on the rock. And finally, we have this picture. When we look at this picture, we see two homes experiencing the same thing. Well, it's experiencing very different things, actually, at the same time. And this will be the contrast that we will pay attention to this morning. Thank you very much for the slides. So when we look at that picture, what do you think is the biggest detail that was overlooked as a man is frantically trying to pick up his damaged home? Any guesses? His foundation. So what I'd like for us to consider this morning is this simple question. Where did you build your house on? In our passage, Jesus brings a close to the Sermon on the Mount with this parable. There is this contrasting of wisdom and foolishness. Jesus sets the tone of urgency as one house will stand and another will fall greatly. Foolishness is manifested really in so many different ways, yet it meets its same end. And wisdom stands on one source, the rock. So our main idea for today is Jesus gives us the impossible task of building our houses upon the rock. But first, we must get to building this house on the sand. I Google searched it. Can you build a house without a foundation? Surprisingly, I found that the answer is, of course you can, as long as you don't need it to stand for long. I didn't realize they built homes that don't last for long. You might be living one right now. You might be thinking, well, one must have enough common sense to know that you cannot build a home without a foundation. And to that, I will attest to yes, absolutely. Everyone builds their house on a foundation. But the problem is that we build our homes on foundations we think are solid, but are in fact sinking sand. As one commentator puts it, during the hot summer months, the sand around the Sea of Galilee was hard on the surface because drought was very common at the time. So I find it very interesting. A builder, what seemed like solid ground, unbeknownst to them, ended up just being hard sand. So a little bit of moisture, and the ground begins to sink. Maybe you've built your house on sinking, shaky ground. Let me paint some awkward scenarios for you. Maybe you are like a Martha, where you always need to be busy. Busyness is your idol. You always need to be serving, always need to be working, and you are sleeping less so that you can serve more, work more. You get cranky towards others, maybe even judgmental, and you are always thinking about what to do next. People always tell you, you need to slow down, but you don't hear it. 
When you're driving, your obsession with busyness manifests into impatience and even road rage. Do you get annoyed when you are behind a car and it has a sign on the back that says, please be patient, student driver, only to drive past them and see that it is not a student driver? I've been seeing a lot of those recently. I don't know why people have them. I am personally a big questioner when I'm on the road. What are you doing? Get out of the way. Why are you here? Why are you changing lanes? Go faster. And someone has confronted you about it. Hey, have you ever considered that you might have road rage? And you might say, no, 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 not me. You are mistaken. I'm fine. And to them, they would say, well, yes, it seems like this is a recurring issue. And then you're like, you know what? Why am I always mad on the road? Personal example, when I sat with some of my friends in the past, I've expressed that something is quite not right in my life, but I can't put my finger on it. I sit down, unravel my week, unravel my life, gloss over this huge pivotal point to which they may point out that it was a huge portion that affected me, and I had to live a certain way because of that. And I would brush it off and say, no, 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 that wasn't that big of a deal, to which they would respond, yes, 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 it was. And because of it, you have to live a certain way in response. To which I would respond, no, 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 you don't know what you're talking about. To which they would respond, yes, you should be open to consider. Now the self-identity crisis kicks in. The ground underneath me begins to sink. Wait a minute, how have I been living all of these years? Maybe you have faced trauma in your childhood. In order to protect yourself, you coped for a while, and it worked out for you because you had to survive. But now you're older, and it no longer is effective. What do you do now? You can sense that something is wrong, and you want to change, but you continue with the same process because, well, it's all you know. I'll do it my way. I'll figure it out eventually. It's so hard to change a habit, isn't it? Some of us have this cynical attitude of, I cannot change, so what is the point of trying? And in denial, you begin to say, you know, it's just who I am. Deal with it. When confrontation arises, you point fingers externally. You know, it's not me. It's everyone else who has the problem. I'm not in the wrong because I'll just end up doing it my way. And yet, you have a conscience that speaks to you, and you try to quiet that conscience and suppress it. You look for small, quick fixes here and there to make yourself feel better. You trick yourself into thinking things are changing when they are not and thus a cyclical redundancy of chasing something new, but only leading back to the same place for you. Here are some alternatives that keep us busy. Maybe you are a very insecure person, and you have made a vow, I'm going to be the self-made man. I'm going to stake all my identity, all my purpose on my career, my goals, my hobbies, my materials. I'm going to accumulate more stuff gain more influence, gain more power. Maybe you seek the avenue of inspiration. You have a moment-by-moment -moment motivation. You always need to find something new, something fresh to do, whether it is a healthy habit or an unhealthy distraction. But the problem is the excessiveness and the frequency to which you go to these things, and you keep your mind and your body busy 
so that you don't have to reflect on all the hard stuff you're going through. Or you live with a high sense of moralism. The supreme ethic for you is I just need to be a good person. Not a bad aim to be sincere, but insufficient. As we see this man building his house on the sand, he is very sincere, and he was very diligent in building his home, yet great was his fall. These things will only get you so far in life. If you've lived long enough, you have enough self-introspection, you know this. This is why you keep still searching. These small sandcastles keep us busy. And how are small sandcastles crushed? By the waves, by the storms. A little bit of moisture, and uh uh-oh, the ground begins to sink. And we get to our second point, the storms that come. The rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat against the house. It is the exact same scenario for the house that is built on the rock as the one that is built on the sand. Because the storms, they come to every household. It is not a matter of if, but when. It is inevitable. I always get a really a kick out of it when I go to a friend's house and they happen to have kids. We start playing. I'm building blocks or Legos, whatever. I take time to make my tower, my home. And it is only a matter of time when a young boy, always a boy, comes trampling in like Godzilla to crush my creation. Bang, bang, bang. And it is obliterated. They always need to make sure it is destroyed all the way to the end. (sighs) The storms always come. This is maybe a humorous outlook, but when the real storms come, it's not always funny. Because the storms of life are the hardships and struggles and sufferings that plague us in this lifetime. Sometimes it's the most painful and yet greatest thing that will ever happen in your life as it strips you of everything. As a friend of mine likes to say, as he's experiencing this type of sanctification, it just hurts so good. Because in actuality, the design of these storms are not to destroy you. They are not to save you. They expose you. They can quickly shed light on the faulty foundations of a heavy self-reliance, always needing to chase something new or a high ethic of moralism and sincerity. These are trials and hardships to expose your foundation. And it is an act of God's grace. Beloved, where did you build your house on? What do we do when these storms come to our homes and demolish everything that we have? Well, we do what any sensible person would do. We rebuild However, this is the pivotal point to see that there are two different ways of rebuilding. We get to our first builder, the foolish one. This is the one that is man-centered. Everyone reaches an existential crisis when a storm hints. But we must ask, what came of it? What was the person's response to that storm? I think about the rich young ruler who is seemingly very self-righteous as he comes before Jesus. But Jesus reduces his spiritual home to rubble when he tells him, you got to sell all that you have. And then what happens to him? He walks away sad and would rather live in blissful ignorance. You see, on the surface, the foundation of hard sand doesn't look any different from a rock. 
it is deceptively similar. You cannot tell at face value. One says that they are Christian, but in fact, it is a cultural Christianity in which he or she believes in. Oh yeah, my parents are believers. I grew up in church all my life. I attended all the retreats, did all the mission trips. Look at all the things that I've done and the people I surround myself with. Do you know how much time and service that I've given to God? The storms come and expose this foundation. Hardship comes and they show their true colors. How could God do this to me? When I've done all the right things and said all the right things, this doesn't seem very fair. Sadly, instead of repentance and faith, there are those that build again on the sand and cover things up as if nothing happened. Because the problem, church, is not that people don't know. The problem is they know, but they just don't care. And not only that, culture encourages you to build your house on a plot of sand. They might say to you, do whatever you want to do. Get more stuff. Think about ways of getting more stuff. Build more influence. Build more power. Chase this new and fun thing to do to keep yourself busy because it is about being sincere, good, and nice. All of the aforementioned small sandcastles in your life points ultimately to pride and idolatry. This is the weakest theology of them all because it is a man-centered doctrine. God had some part in it, but ultimately I did it on my own because it is my choice in the end. And there are people on pulpits who only teach and encourage this theology further. They say, you get to choose your own destiny. You get to live your best life now. You live the purpose-driven life. Don't think about all the negativity. Be positive, because in the end, everybody goes to heaven. These people twist the very gospel of Christ, which alone changes lives. And they say, when the storms come, build your house again on the sand. It's fine. It's solid. It'll hold up. This is false, and it is unequivocally a foolish response. These men are wolves in sheep's clothing. And these men will be judged in the second coming of Christ, which will reveal where they built their lives upon, and great will be their fall if they do not repent. And us too, if our houses are not built on the rock. Foolishness takes many forms, but in the end, the fate is the same. Wide is the gate which leads to destruction, but narrow is the road which leads to life. We have our foolish builder, and now we have our wise builder who is God-centered. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, Jesus tells us what we need to do from the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5 to 7. He tells us to heed those words and obey. And how do we do the words that he has given us to obey? Well, we have to know what they are. I fear at times that our people may be biblically illiterate, that we are unaware of the treasures in this book. When was the last time you took some time to read from God's word? It truly is life-giving. It is fine to read other things. It is fine to watch other things. But this is the best thing. Because indeed, the grass withers, 
and surely flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amidst the inevitable storms that come in your life, what is highlighted of this wise builder is where he built his house on. It still stands because of his foundation. I'm particularly struck by a couple of great stories. And what these stories represent to me is just such great humility, and it's evidenced in a love for God's word. I'm reminded of the powerful testimony that Pastor Xiong shared in our latest podcast. It wouldn't do me justice to sum it up. You just got to listen to it on your own. But he lived an orphan life without a home, facing so many adversities in his life. And there was a clear juncture where God took over his heart. And he loved reading God's word and was hungering after it daily. He was eating it up. And there he encountered the Lord Jesus who gave him a new life and a restorative father who loves him deeply. I think about the powerful testimony shared by Connie just about a couple weeks ago where she was facing her hardship and health struggles as well. And in her juncture, she fell in with God's love. She fell in love with God's word once again with a heart burning for scripture and with a mindset of even if God takes away all that I have, I will still praise him till the end. What a humbling reminder. These great stories, they are not man-centered. They are God-centered. They are God-honoring. Such men and women are wise builders. I was reading Mere Christianity, and this is something that I wanted to share with you that struck me in particular. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild it. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He is getting at the drains, stopping at the leaks in the roof, so on. You knew those jobs needed to be done, so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. So we get to building on the rock. How do you build your house on a rock? How do you obey all the commands that God has given us from Matthew 5 and 7? If you read it, It's a laundry list of things. And I hope that the conclusion that you reach is, I can't do this. I can't build this house. It is impossible. Because people love to do repairs, quick fixes, and they do it sincerely, diligently. But you are repairing a dead home with a faulty foundation. You need a full-out restoration. You don't need Chip and Joanna Gaines. You need Jesus Christ to give you a resurrection because you were dead. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive in him. By grace, you have been saved. 
Last time I checked, dead people can't do anything. You are spiritually, morally incapable of doing any good. All the culmination of your life's decisions built on this house of sand, which leads to death. And it's easy to go down that road because you were dead. I think about our brother Lazarus, who was in the tomb for three days. He's dead. What can he do? Did he will himself to life? Did he say, oh, I'm going to get my life together and start following Jesus? No, he can't because he's dead. But how did he come back to life again? Jesus called him. You were dead, but God made you alive. You can now have faith in him. You did not choose him. He first chose you. And he sent his son to die on the cross, nailing our sins with them, being raised together from the grave with him. And now you are a new creation, created in Christ Jesus to work in will for his glory. You have faith in him alone. Hallelujah. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, who now resides in you, you can now obey his commands. Now this house is starting to take shape. And guess who the builder is? It is not you. It is God. He is the author and the perfecter of your faith. And guess where he's healing building this house on himself. For Jesus is the rock of our salvation. In 1 Corinthians it says, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Referring back to Exodus 17, when the people were wandering through the desert, they said, we need water to drink, we're thirsty. And Moses said to God, what can I do? And God said, I'm gonna stand before you on that rock, and you will strike that rock, and water will gush forth. Christ was a rock that was struck for us, and now we have not but wellspring of water, but a wellspring of grace. Storms of life are coming, but it is for your good. And our rock is a sure foundation. The thing about a foundation, it is something on which the whole house hinges upon. It is the ground on which we walk. We don't think about it because we take it for granted, but it affects all of our lives. We live, we breathe, we think, we dream, we eat. All of the gospel. We know this is the gospel, right? But has it sunk deep in your heart? Maybe you have yet to know this. And somehow you're stunted. So I want to give you some practical application. How do you build on a sure and solid foundation? Well, you got to test the structure of your existing foundation. I'll give you two helpful tips. We need to dig deeper, deeper. It was around the hot summer months that around the Sea of Galilee, the hard sand was on the surface. But a wise builder knew that he had to dig several feet deeper below the surface to the bedrock in order to establish the foundation for the house. We need to dig deeper. Several feet, in fact. Because if you build without digging deep, you will only be surface level shallow. Sadly, many would rather not. They would rather live in ignorance and simply look away and continue to build their towers on sand. But God digs deep so that he can build your life on him. What does digging deeper look like? You may have had this conversation with somebody. You want to get to know them, figure out their spiritual life. You ask, how's your faith? It's fine. How's church? It's good. 
How'd you come to faith? Jesus. How'd you come to grow in your faith? Jesus. It's like talking to a 13-year-old boy from the perspective of a mother. Only just one word answers. Or maybe you haven't had these types of conversations. Or maybe you have had a conversation with God where it just goes just a little bit deeper. Yes, God. Yes, you are my Savior. You can have it all except this one thing that I've guarded all of my life. This one thing is off limits for you. To which he may respond, yes, I am your Savior as well as your Lord, which means I am Lord over everything in your life, especially that one thing you say is off limits. Jesus is the builder. He is the foundation. He is the dweller, and he is the title owner of this house. He has the will and the rights to you because he purchased you with his blood. And his lordship over your life means that he has every right to dig in some very sensitive aspects of your life. In many of the accounts, I love in the early chapters of John, Jesus digs deep. Jesus didn't mince words when he told Nicodemus in his very old age, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Sort of harsh for a man in the later stages of his life. Jesus meets a woman in Samaria and tells her to bring her husband, to which she responds, I don't have one, to which he would say, technically, you're right, because you have had five husbands, and the one husband you are with now is not your husband. Jesus told a man who could not walk for 38 years to get up and walk. Jesus goes right for that sensitive spot. Jesus is going right for your biggest issue. And he is digging deep so that he can build your life on him. Well, that may mean asking yourself some really hard and honest questions and self-admitting your idols. Or that may mean becoming vulnerable, taking the initiative to share your faith, or asking others about who you trust, your blind spots, and your sins. Or that may mean asking God to reveal the deep-seated things of your life. We need to dig deeper. And second, we can test our foundation by how much we want to make Jesus known to others with others. I hope that you do not misunderstand me in this rebuilding project of your life. You are not an individual home on a rock. We are all a collection of homes built on the same rock. We are a city on a hill, a city that serves as a lighthouse unto this dark and broken world, which means we cannot remain hidden Christians. There is no such thing. How much do you want to make Jesus known to others with others? Well, how much do you value your church community? As a community of homes built on this run walk, we are to engage with one another, dig deep with one another, meaning that there is no such thing as long-term attending church virtually. You can't do it because it wasn't designed to be that way. It was supposed to be personal. One of the greatest recent blessings in my life has been our post-grad CG where we get to meet in person every week. I love it. I love seeing their passion and their zeal because it is second to none. And brothers and sisters, if we believe that the gospel is what it is, we would want to share it with others. 
There is no option of knowing the gospel and not wanting to share it with others. Yesterday, we were doing homeless outreach to D.C. We had a chance to witness and pray for people. And I was humbled to meet so many people that were 64 years of age, 61 years of age, 56 years of age, all which did not look like their age. I was like, what are you doing? You look great for your age. And they were humbling me by all the things that God said was blessing them with. I'm just thankful for every day because I don't get to wake up on my own strength. God wakes me up. We were praying for one man, and he had a reoccurring prayer request. I just want housing. Many things we take for granted, church. And I share this story with you also because I want you to understand, well, how can I serve? There's no opportunities. There are so many opportunities. We have our Lamb Center every month. We have our neighborhood Christmas baskets. I'm glad to see so many have signed to assemble them, but we need people to sign up to go out and actually give them out. Please, if you have time, if you can pray about it, consider it. And here's a story that I wanted to share with you, actually, that I did not for 9 a.m., but I think was be, would be very valuable for you. So I subscribed to this um, magazine uh, that's essentially called Voice of the Martyrs. So it's, it was because of the persecution of the day of the day of the persecuted church that I, that I purchased this. And I was really struck by this one story uh, told by a guy named uh, Minje. So he's from North Korea. So Minje, he gets saved as he uh, goes to a trip to China. Uh, and he comes back and he loves God's word. And somebody challenges him, hey, can you receive a shipment of 10 Bibles? But he was like, I'm going back to North Korea. If I receive this shipment, I'm going to be surely put into a concentration camp. He agonized over this decision. But he remembered that he gave his life to Jesus and that it was no longer his own. So he started to trust God. God is with everything is possible. I can do anything he wants. Even if it looks difficult, God will do it. In the harrowing night, the shipment came with the 10 Bibles, and he was holding on to it, wondering how he would distribute them. His second problem. How is he going to do this? Months passed until one day he heard a man whistling a Christian hymn. The trusting heart to Jesus clings is what we sang today. He made note of it where he lived and he delivered the eight Bibles of which he had left in the cover of darkness later that evening. When Minje later returned to China with the intent of defecting, he was arrested and extradited to North Korea in prison. He met a former friend who had been arrested because he was Christian. Imagine that. As they talked, Minje realized that his friend was a nephew of the man that he had given the Bibles to. That man had also been arrested and was being held in the same prison. Minje told him that his uncle had given the eight Bibles to relatives of which they've all committed their lives to Jesus. The entire family of 27 became believers and they worshiped God in the secret of the night. But a neighbor overheard reported them to the authorities, and the secret police raided their home and arrested everyone. Although he wasn't able to interact with them, Minje often heard some of the family members praying in their cells. He never told his friend that he was the one who had left the eight Bibles on his uncle's doorstep. It was still too risky for anyone to know. A month later, all 27 members, including Minje's friend and his friend's uncle, were sent to the concentration camp 
This is going on as we speak. Where did you build your house on? Is it on the rock? Finally, I'd like to share with you a conversation I had with somebody that reminded me of this. If you didn't know, I have uh, brothers. I have two older brothers. The oldest one I'm particularly the closest with. I, I love him. He loves R.C. Sproul. Not the reason I love him, but it doesn't hurt. And uh, we had a heart-to-heart recently, and I, I share with him a lot of my past, you could say, childhood struggles that he never knew about. And, you know, I've only seen him cry twice in front of me, and one of those was during our conversation. And I was really humbled by what he shared to me, really shocked and surprised. He said, you know, God is sovereign. You went through all that stuff in your life, but I I think God is sovereign. He will see to it in the end. You will find your greatest good in him, and he will be glorified. You know why that means so much to me? He's 14 years older than me. And him and his wife have had the hardest time trying to have kids. They tried to do everything, but it didn't work. And they said during one of their family worship times, and I was like, wow, you guys have family worship? That's crazy. She said to him, I'm okay. It's just being us two for the rest of our lives. I just want to store up more treasures in heaven with you. I was like, good job. You married a good woman. (laughs) Such is the mindset of my brother and sister-in-law. And I was like, man, I guess that's what a whole house looks like that's built on the rock. So I want to ask you, where did you build your house on? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, that is everlasting. As the storms of life come, may we have enough self-introspection to examine, where did we build our foundation upon? Is it upon the sand or is it upon the rock? As we're humbled to realize, Father, Let us just come before you with desperation and hope. Not in our riches, not in our will or our works or our gain, but in you and you alone, for you alone are the rock of our salvation. I wouldn't have it any other way. Thank you for being solid and sure. Thank you for being the one that was struck for us. Thank you for being the cornerstone on which our whole house stands upon. We love you because we know that you were first most loving of us. We pray during the weeks, especially the holiday months, where things get harder, as people feel lonelier or more depressed, that we would look to our Savior, our Lord, our friend, to comfort us in these times, and that we would be able to comfort others with the comfort with which you have given to us.
thank you. And may we be able to respond with you, to you, with this worship that you so deserve. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's all